0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the Lord's return tonight. And I want to just say before I do, just a couple of things that are that are really good. Uh, one is that we just finished our global focus executive team meeting, which is so good to be able to do that. And I wish that you would take the time just to thank uh, David Caniff, Belinda Cook. Beth Moore, uh, Daniel Boone, Justin Bennett. He's not here, so don't thank him. Uh, But he's normally here for these meetings. Uh, Todd Howell, they're in those meetings every month, every other month when we're doing that. Would you just thank that executive team leadership of folks who do that? They do such a good job. And um, as we were talking about uh, the things that are going on in Global Focus, one of the things that happens in Global Focus that we feel the pressure of is is making sure that we're stewarding the right way that God wants us to do that. And just to hear the reports of different people saying, oh, you know, I was in that ministry and I've seen what God's doing there. And and we really kind of bat those things around. And it was really good for us to be able to do that. And uh, it's just been, I, I say this to you again, this has been such a unique year of giving at Judson Baptist Church. It has been a, a fantastic year of giving at Judson Baptist Church even though in large measure, we really only hit about one giving goal. You know, we gave more than we've ever given in in the life of our church. Uh, And you say, well, were you disappointed we didn't make budget? Well, I mean, you always want to make budget or something, but we want to make expenses, right? I mean, that's the main thing. And I I said this to you guys the other day, and this is so true. In January, 2018, we started with $7.2 million in debt and we believed that God was going to do something to financially reposition the church with our debt. And out of nowhere, divine intervention, God's providential ways that he works in our lives, we refinance that loan and drop five years off of it immediately. And then we take up $431,000 this year. And I'm excited. Y'all are Sunday night. Y'all can have a little bit of foreknowledge here. Because you know what? You showed up and the rest of them didn't, all right? That's how it is. So, but, but here's the thing. We now, we're ready to do another hundred grand Sunday because we've dropped down now to five point eight million dollars. That's amazing. So just praise the Lord for that. I mean it's just it's just some good things along those lines. We need to keep doing that. But I'm also gonna give you a little Sunday night foreknowledge. You can take a little breath, like he's not gonna ask us to do another giving campaign in the spring this year. I don't think we're gonna do that. I think we're gonna take a breath. It's gonna be okay, but if you want to keep giving, keep giving. You know, we will never refund that check. I'll tell you that. Um, tonight, as we talk about the Lord's return, I was struck by something I read this week: that one out of every twenty-five verses in the New Testament deals with the Lord's return. That's a lot. That is a lot. Now, you you account for the book of Revelation being so much of that. The gospel writers speak a lot about it, but one out of every 25 verses deals with the Lord's return. That must mean that it's important for us. In fact, a little Bible trivia for you. Uh, Four books in the New Testament don't speak about it at all, and three of them are very short, 2nd and 3rd John Philemon, And then Galatians deals with something very specific. The the Galatian church had a very specific issue that they were dealing with, whether or not they were gonna continue in this hybrid model of trying to be religious Jews and Christians as they went forward. And so it's not really mentioned there, but one out of 25 verses deals with the Lord's return. And John is dealing with that tonight in the passages that we're looking at from 1 John. And we'll look in chapter two, verse 26 is where we'll begin tonight. And we're only gonna read through verse twenty nine these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you as for the as for you the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as uh, as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him now little children abide in him so that we that when he appears. We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Uh, the last time that I was able to be here and speak to you from the book of First John, we were dealing with a couple of verses up. This idea of these false teachers that were troubling the church. And we talked about the Antichrist and what that would look like when Antichrist came, but he also mentioned Antichrists, that there were more people opposing Christ. And we kind of talked about knowing these false teachers. Uh, if you missed that, you can go back and listen to it. But we're going to be dealing with that again very soon in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter seven, he's going to deal with it. And he's going to talk about building your life on something substantial in the rock and the sand and and that that kind of parable that he gives. But I I wanna just hone in on this for just a second because John begins to say to this church some very important things about listening to the truth and discerning the truth in your life and being able to understand it. And what he says may be a little bit confusing to us in verse 26. He says, I wrote you these things concerning those who are trying to deceive you. You remember there were these group of people called the Gnostics. They believed that there was higher knowledge that you could achieve. They also believed that morality wasn't as important because the soul and the body were completely separated. So what you did in your body didn't necessarily reflect in what happened in your soul. And we would just say to all of that heresy. That is absolute heresy. How you act absolutely affects our soul. It's not just in our body. So all those things are very important. And and that had kind of Crept into the church. And what seems to happen is that in every generation, if you go back and look at it, there's some kind of, I'd almost call it just a little weird or a little off or a little wonky teaching that tries to get into the church. It just becomes part of it. Somebody told me the other day that they think that one of the things that's going to happen in church life in the coming days, especially for Baptists, is that we're going to be challenged on the perseverance of the saints. They're seeing that start to come in. Well, let me tell you something. That is distinctly Baptist. We believe that once you have been saved, Jesus says it like this. We sing songs like this that Jesus says, Father, everybody you've put in my hand, I've got them, they're mine. We don't believe that you can lose your salvation you have to come back again to it. But we have to be on guard for that all the time because there's always something that's going to come to the church that is just a little bit off. And a lot of times you may find that it's something that's actually pretty good. It, it may actually be okay in its part, but when it's elevated to supremacy, it starts to diminish other things. And, and when we see the scripture, we're always fighting against those things that deceive us. I will never forget having the opportunity to meet one of the most famous preachers that maybe ever lived in Southern Baptist life. He was the prince of preachers. His name was Adrian Rogers, gone home to be with the Lord. Dr. Adrian Rogers pastored in Memphis, Tennessee for a number of years. And matter of fact, he's he's still, we were just talking about radio ministry early. He's still the most famous radio preacher around. I mean, his show is listened to more than any other radio preacher, I think, in America. It's still love worth Finding. If you listen to that, it's still on Bot Radio and other radio stations across the country. And we were sitting in his office one Sunday morning before we, he went out to preach. And he asked me about the school that I was going to, because when I went to college, uh, I went to a Baptist school, but they didn't necessarily believe that the scripture should be valued the way that we value it. They didn't believe that the miracles were true. Uh, they didn't believe that Moses wrote anything in the Bible. They, I mean, they just went through this whole thing where they were t- constantly trying to chip away at those things. And he asked me about that. Do you feel like that they're trying at your school to push some things on you that are against the scripture? And I said, I do. And he said, I'm gonna tell you something. Every lie is built on the truth. Every single lie is built on the truth. And if you will just sit tight long enough and hold on to the truth, the lie will be exposed and fall away and the truth will stand That's great news for us tonight in the world that we live in, especially because people all over America call themselves the church of Jesus Christ, and yet they preach a gospel contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say, well, I don't know how to deal with this culturally. Don't worry about the culture. Worry about the scripture. Worry about the truth. And if you dive into the truth and you begin living the truth, what John is saying here, there's all these people trying to deceive you. And notice what he says in verse 27. You have this anointing which you receive from him and it abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Now, he's not saying there that we don't need teaching from the scripture, but he is saying something that's really important. When you became a believer, the Holy Spirit came into your life. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. Guides you into all truth. Now, the Holy Spirit uses the scripture as we read it, and, and here's the thing. What we know is that having teachers and preachers and people who go to seminary and study and do all that, that is all fine and well. But the church has been getting along just fine without that for a long time, right? Do you remember what they said about the disciples when they first persecuted them in the book of Acts? They began persecuting them and they said, uh, we're gonna bring you guys in here and you shut up and don't talk about this Jesus stuff anymore. And all of a sudden they were amazed, why? Because they knew they were untrained men, the scripture says. They, they were fishermen. But what had happened, they had had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Peter begins to preach, I dare you to find a better sermon than Acts chapter two. I dare you to find one. It doesn't exist. Look at Stephen's sermon when he preaches right before he's martyred. I dare you to find a better sermon. They hadn't spent a day in seminary. They hadn't spent a day learning the things that we have available to us. I promise you, they didn't have Logos for their computers. You know, They didn't have all the stuff that we have. And yet they were able to speak. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was ministering to them. When you grab the scripture and you start reading it, you'll have anointing from the Lord to know what is true. And you'll be able to discern the truth. And it's like my grandfather used to say, I say this to you guys all the time, but he used to say this all the time. When things don't add up, they just add it up. They're wrong. It just showed you everything you needed. So he would say, if you're in this situation and it feels a little bit funny, if it feels off, it's because it is. Like if it's in a business deal and it's too good to be true, it's because it is too good to be true. It just added up for you, right? So when you're sitting there trying to kind of discern the culture, when you're trying to discern what's right and wrong for your family, when you're trying to discern a business decision and somebody says, oh, God doesn't care about that. You do whatever you wanna do. You say, wait, wait, wait. God does care about it. If you were in the second service this morning, I read to you from a psalm that has just meant a lot to me, Psalm 25. And and one of the things that, that David was declaring in that psalm is that when you fear the Lord, the Lord lets you in on secret counsels. Now, I love that. How many of you like a little bit of secret counsel tonight? That's good for our lives, isn't it? He says, He'll give you the secret counsels that you need to know for your life. He'll guide you into all truth. And so we don't have to worry about people who are troubling the church. We have to stand firm in the truth and protect the truth. And I tell you, that's something that I feel so so impressed by in our own life at Judson Baptist Church. We have to stand in the truth. We can't bend to the culture and we can't allow someone to come in here and try to bend us to something that we know isn't true. So we're constantly teaching the truth. And when somebody says, well, I think this, you go, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're going back to the scripture. I think won't cut it. Let's find out what God says. Let's try to bend our lives to his instead of trying to bend his truth to us. So he says that if we abide in him, and that's so so Uh, johannian speak right there he loves that word abide that we have this truth now look at verse 28 he gives a command little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him Let me ask you a question. Do you think that it would be possible tonight for someone to be moral and not righteous? Could you be moral and not right? I mean, could could it be that there's somebody that lives on your street who's a moral person, but they're not righteous? Well, I think so. And we've been talking about this on Sunday mornings in the Sermon on the Mount because You remember early on when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we said this is not just a list of morality that you should live by because if it is, it would drive you crazy because in and of yourself without the Holy Spirit's work in your life, we have no chance, right? So what happens is the righteousness of Christ applied to our life begins to come out in our lives and what he's saying here is when we abide in him, We practice righteousness. It becomes part of what we do. And the practice of righteousness doesn't mean that we don't mess up. You certainly do. I do. You certainly sin. I do. But righteousness as a practice means something that you're doing day by day, applying it to your life, moment by moment, asking God to help you live righteously before this world. And what he says is, you'll know these people who are in Christ, who are abiding in him because they practice righteousness. That is something that we are losing as a church. I don't mean church, Judson Baptist Church, I mean universal church. One of the things that we need to take some serious consideration towards is that we're moving away from certain practices of righteousness that have been standard for us as Baptists for years. And we do that in the name of reaching the culture. We want to identify with the culture. We want to be like that. We don't want to stand out from the culture. We want to be cool. We want to feel like when we walk in a room, we don't stick out like a sore thumb. But I got news for you. The scripture says that when you're in Christ, you're an alien here. Anybody remember the show Alf? Alien life form. He stuck out like a sore thumb. He didn't look like anything I've ever seen, right? I don't know if I believe in alien. Do you believe in alien? That's another conversation, right? Area 51. Reggie, you believe. Reggie just gave an amen back there. He believes in them. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe in aliens, but here's the thing. If you're an alien, uh, the way we think about them, life is different when you walk around on this earth, isn't it? It should be different. It should feel just a little bit uncomfortable. And, and I, I think I read this uh, many years ago. Somebody said, a wise man once quoted, said that when you come to a fence, Another wise person asks, why is the fence here? Because you might hop the fence and get the bull, right? The bull by the horns, you think you have it, it comes and gets you. And, And there's some things that have been placed in our lives and we're running past those things right now as if they don't matter, as if our morality doesn't matter, as if our righteousness doesn't matter. And he's saying when we abide in him, we practice righteousness. That's who we are. Why? Did you read this? So that at his coming, you will not shrink away from him in shame. Can you imagine the Lord showing up tonight and you diving under the pew? Oh, man. Now, what we know about the Lord's return is is kind of, I guess what I would say, there's some things that we know for certain parts of the eastern sky. We know that he doesn't even know the time. The time is fixed by the heavenly father. The trumpet will sound. He's going to return. Can you imagine in that night, that day, that hour, kind of going, oh man. I hope he doesn't bring up, you know, that thing. How awkward is that, right? It couldn't be any more awkward than what we see in Matthew 25. Would you turn over there with me? Matthew 25 and 24 are all about the return of the Lord. When you read Matthew 24, you get these signs of Christ's return you see that we're going to be living in perilous time. Then he talks about the tribulation, and the glorious return, then the parable of the fig tree. And then he says, be ready for his coming. Then the parable of the 10 virgins because there were some that weren't ready, right? They weren't ready for, for the master to return. But then the parable of the talents. Verse 14, Matthew 25. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. When I think about that parable, I think about Jesus gathering the disciples and saying, I'm out of here. You guys head back to Jerusalem, hang out and wait for the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he tells them to do that and he entrusts them with something. It was the gospel. He's entrusted them with the keys to the kingdom, right? They have it. When when I think about the keys to the kingdom, it's that you literally have the opportunity, and I mean, this is figurative speech here, but you have the opportunity to unlock the door for somebody to enter the kingdom, right? When you share Christ with them, they receive Christ. Jesus says that we've got the keys to the kingdom. We're unlocking the door for people to know him. We have that. So here, the, the master leaves all of his possessions. We've got it all. The Holy Spirit, the keys to the kingdom, the word of God, we have it all. Verse 15, to one he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his own ability and he went on his journey. You know what happens. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded for gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who'd received the fives came up saying, uh, I had five, master, and I have gained five more. Master says to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. I gained two more "'His master said, "'Well done, good and faithful slave. "'You were faithful with a few things. "'I'll put you in charge of many. "'Enter into the joy of your master.' "'And the one who'd also received the one talent "'came up and said, "'Master, I knew you to be a hard man, "'reaping where you did not sow, "'gathering where you scattered no seed. "'And I was afraid and went away "'and hid your talent in the ground. "'See, you have what is yours.' "'But his master answered and said to him, "'You wicked, lazy slave.' You knew I reap where I don't sow and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he does not have will be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." It's like being ready for a test. How many of you are glad school's over? I'm I'm, I'm telling you what. I wake up every day and thank God I don't have to go to school when I'm dropping my kids off. (laughs) Nothing against teachers, but is there anything worse than to put a seven-year-old boy in a classroom and tell him to sit there all day? Good luck, right? On top of that, we have these tests. Some of us are gifted with the gift of procrastination. Can I get a witness? You know? Some of you know who you are, and you know what it's like, right? You know what it's like when you studied and you're ready and you're prepared and you walk in and you take the test? It's great when you come home and mom says, How was your day today? Got 100 on the test. I knew all the questions. I'd studied, I was prepared, I was ready. But I've lived through a lot of these types of conversations. How was your test today? uh, well, you know what? I'm not really sure yet. What do you mean you're not sure? I thought I did pretty good. I studied. Have you ever said that? I studied. I've said that so many times. My parents used to just shake their heads. They couldn't even stand it because they knew that the call was gonna come from the teacher. You gotta come in for the conference, right? Because he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. When you're ready, you do like the first guy did. You walk up, glad you're back. Took the five, did what I needed to do, got you five more. It's good, right? I got you five more, right? I mean, there's no shrinking away there. There's no, there's no moving away from that. There's no, oh man, the master's back quick. What are we gonna do? What do I have to do? Uh, I haven't been doing what I should have been doing. There's none of that with this guy. There's none of that with the guy who receives two. That slave walks up, master, hey, 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 good to see you. Glad you're back. Got the two, got two more. It's been good that you were gone and business has been booming since you were gone. I took care of business. But I mean, what if you're the guy who's like, well, I didn't really want to do anything with what you left. I certainly didn't want to practice righteousness. I had the scripture, I never read it. Now in this parable, we can assume that this person never had a salvific moment. I don't think that's what John's talking about. I think he's talking about a believer who shrinks away in shame, right? This parable says this guy was cast into outer darkness. And and maybe we don't have a real sense of what this is going to be like because I think we all know that we're going to heaven and we're going to receive you know a jewel in our crown, and we hear that we 'll lay the crowns at jesus feet, and there 's a reward waiting and Maybe some of us just think like, "I mean well, who cares, just getting into heaven's good enough like that's that 's good with me but here 's the point i don 't want to be found having unconfessed sin in my life or the practice of sin in my life when Jesus comes back. One of the great youth ministry tricks, Pastor Dan, that you can start using' used on me all my life by youth pastors. Just think about what you're doing and what would happen if Jesus came back right now while you're doing that, right? Oh my goodness. Nobody wants to think like that, right? It just tears you up. You mean like when I was cheating on the test, looking off that kid's paper and Jesus came back? Yeah, that's shrinking away, isn't it? Or or when you're, you're cheating time at the company and Jesus comes back? Yeah, that's a shrink away moment. Practicing righteousness means that when he comes back, you walk up and you're like, It is awesome to see you today. I'm so glad you came on today because I have it right. I got the practice of righteousness going and I have been abiding in you. I've been living in the word. I've had the keys of the kingdom. I've been practicing my faith. I've been sharing the gospel. I've been engaging people with the gospel. I've been doing what I need to do. And you say, this is a good day. Let's go home. Totally different than, oh man, I didn't see you coming back today. I thought I had a little more time. I thought I could get away with this just a little bit longer. I thought I could manage my sin just one more day. And I always meant to deal with that thing that you kept talking to me about, the Holy Spirit. I was gonna do it. I just never got around to it. One of the guys in the church is part of a a woodworking crew. They do things on these wooden lathes and he brought me this thing And he gave it to me, it was a little round wooden coin and it just said, to it, on it. And I thought, what in the world is this? And he said, well, that's when you don't have an answer for why you didn't get something done at home. You just take that coin out and you give it to your wife. See, it's a round to it. So I was gonna get a round to it and give it to her. I don't think that works at our house. I don't know, if you wanna try it, welcome to it. I'll put you in contact with the guy and he can get you one, right? You don't wanna show up with Jesus like that. You don't want to show up going, oh, I'm shrinking away. What you want to do is show up and have him say, good for you, well done, good and faithful slave, enter into your rest, let's go. That's all there is to say. That's what you want. That's what I want. And when I read this parable of the talents, it just so ingrained in my mind this week that I don't want to be found shrinking away. I don't want to be found going, oh, I meant to do that. I was going to do that. But what I want to be found is abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, practicing righteousness so that when he shows, our righteousness shines like the noonday sun and that's all there is to it. Enter into the rest. Good. So what about us? What do we do with something like this? As I was thinking about this sermon, even early this morning, the song that kind of just broached my mind is an old song. It's an old chorus. I don't know when it would have came out. I feel like I was in maybe high school or middle school, something like that in the 90s. But it's a song of prayer, and it just says, holiness, holiness, holiness is what I long for, it's what I need. The church needs holiness. That means that we need holiness. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness is what I long for, it's what I need. And it just begins to ask God, take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours. And that's the prayer that we need to be praying tonight. That's the prayer that we need to be praying tomorrow morning when we wake up is that we won't be found shrinking away from the Lord or trying to hide, ducking under the pew when he shows up but that we will have been so transformed as living sacrifices that what happens is our righteousness shines like the noonday sun. And when Jesus comes back, we will have weathered the storm of heresy in our generation as every generation before has done. And we will be found faithful and true, living, holy, righteous lives for him. And that when he comes back, all we'll hear is enter into the rest. Good job. Well done. Come on in. Would you pray with me? Father, for our lives tonight, help us to know the truth and to abide in it, to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks. And we ask you, Lord, we want to be holy, we want to be righteous, we want to be faithful. And we're asking you tonight to change our hearts, our minds, and our will so they conform with yours. Transform us as we abide in your presence right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.